0: In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart, too? Now, printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh. That is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now, printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com smart.
1: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Noah Bombeck's new film is Marriage Story. It's stunning. When I first saw the film, I could barely find the words to express my reaction. It felt that real, that honest. Bombeck is known for messy and realistic family dramas. The Squid and the Whale Chronicles Divorce. Margot at the wedding explores the relationship between two sisters. The Meyerowitz stories tells of three adult siblings, different mother's same father, negotiating resentment and love. But Marriage Story puts Bombeck on a plane with Woody Allen, Barry Levinson, and Mike Nichols in terms of directing talent. The writing, directing, and acting come together perfectly. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson... Inhabit Bombek's words with exquisite performances of a couple coming apart while parenting a young son. There have been plenty of comparisons between Bombek's own life and his movies, especially so with Marriage Story. Bombek and actress Jennifer Jason Lee divorced soon after they had a child. But Bombek is quick to say his films are not autobiographical, they are personal. He admits that the process of turning real life into films is part of how he copes and makes sense of things. When hard things have happened
2: to me in my life, and, I mean, not only hard things, but but certainly hard things have happened in my life, there is a kind of comfort, I think, in my mind of sort of what would this be if we put it in a movie. Um, I I think uh, something... Did you get to know? Did you know Mike Nichols uh, much? I mean, you work
1: with him, but uh, I worked with him and kept in touch with him. You're so good in working,
2: girl, though. Yeah, well, thank you. He said when uh, he I met him after Squid and the Whale, and um, he said it reminded me of why I got into the movie business in the first place, which is revenge. And I thought, I know what he means, though, because again, it's not revenge on a person. It's almost like revenge on experience, or or and from that with that movie, it was kind of childhood. It was like a way for me to stand up for my younger self as an adult now, who had a voice that that child didn't have. And I think I do think of that sometimes in in my life, not necessarily while I'm going through it, but sort of maybe soon after if, of that. There's a kind of soothing way of like, what would that be? Whether it or not it ever becomes a scene in a movie or not, um, I've definitely had that in like hospital situations where. The movie I made before, The Meyerowitz Stories, um, my father had been in the hospital for a long time, and I— You were close to your dad. I I was, yeah. Um, And, I mean, I imagine you've spent some time in hospitals. It's sort of, you know, it's such a—I mean, not unlike the divorce system. It's like the ways you learn to function only work in that environment. They don't have any practical application outside of that environment, you know, like how you work with a nurse or a doctor, and then the changing nurse, and then that doctor is going on vacation, and and I didn't make a movie about it for many years later, but I felt like, well, that was a certain kind of
1: reappropriating that situation and turning it into something else. One of the things, among many things, I'm reminded of when I saw your film, because I wrote a book about my divorce, not necessarily. Because I changed a lot of details and I assigned a lot of stories and ideas to fictitious characters that I made up in, in fictional uh, oral histories because I didn't want to say too much about specific people. But if your films are, are, are personal but not autobiographical, I'm assuming that when you do these films, uh, like Squid and the Whale and Marriage Story, there's a lot you leave out. Uh, is that a process for you of what stays in and what doesn't go in? Yeah, it is.
2: And and with Marriage Story, a lot of it was what I discovered in writing it or once I had a draft of it was that it worked best when I stayed on the process and the story of the divorce itself because all the life stuff as as and, and in your book you you write about this wonderfully too is that the life stuff doesn't stop for you to get divorced even though the divorce takes over your life and kind of you got to go to work uh, yeah you have to go to work you still have to be a parent and you have to be a parent even if it's difficult to be with your kid you're, you're now with your kid and you're distracted by the divorce and so i felt like i i just have to acknowledge that and tell that story, and all of those life moments will be there because that is the movie too. And it was these other scenes that were more sort of maybe set piece scenes that were kind of just taking, and there were just other things. There were, and and so I that was the stuff I really
1: stripped away in the script stage uh, for Marriage Story. You wrote it yourself, the screenplay. Yeah, completely. Yeah. When you when you write something, do you have People who counsel you that you respect and you hand them drafts and they g- you get notes from them and yep. ideas from them?
2: Many, yeah. I, I show Greta Gerwig, who, who I live with, um, uh, everything. And she also is a sounding board even early on when I'm— You're married. Uh, you two w- got married. We're not
1: technically married, not technically. but we have a child. and Yes, so we— right. So you have your current love of your life and your child. She's the sounding board for the movie about your divorce from your. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, but but just anything. We'll say any right. any
2: ideas across the board. Uh, uh, across the board, and I have friends, uh, director friends, writer friends who I who I might uh, uh, certainly that I'll show early drafts to. I bring my editor Jen Lame uh, in always from early drafts because uh, my idea is that we should almost cut the script the way we're going to cut the final movie so i um involve Not a lot of fat yeah so like let's shoot what we think we're really going to use and why do you think you do that as opposed to i mean some people don't do that most don't do that well i feel like for me time is so important uh i mean it's important for every director i imagine but I want to have time with these scenes and time for the actors and be able, I like to do a lot of takes and I want to I want to be able to explore not totally unlike you might in a play or something you know be able to you know get as much out of these scenes as we can get and not feel like oh, I wish we you want to look with sure what you know and your heart
1: really matters as opposed to something you are not so sure.
2: yeah and I find also when I'm working with actors who I love who really, when it's really clicking, they're always giving me ideas while we're doing it. A lot of my direction comes from things they do in a scene that gives me an idea of how we could push the scene in, in that direction. So I don't want to shoot scenes or, or things that I'm not going to use if I can avoid it. I mean, there's always stuff you cut, but if, if I can get the script is close to what I think the movie
1: is going to be. I feel like all the better. I mean, the movie's an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. Thank and you, you. And you. don't. You know, you're an enormously talented director. You're an enormously talented writer, and you also happen to get the two actors. That would be, in my mind, everyone's dream to do a drama like that. I mean, he's at the top of his game. Everybody thinks he's one of the five most talented men alive today. And her the same thing. She's almost on another planet in terms of her range and things she's done. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what's the path to them with you? Is it a formal process through representation, or is it like... You're having dinner with Barry Levinson, and he says, "I can call Adam." You know, was is it, is it? Well, this
2: is my fourth movie with Adam, so I've, right. cause i I I so knew Adam. I knew Adam. I cast Adam in Francis Ha off an audition, and it was before Girls had come out, so I hadn't seen him in anything. He just came in, and I, and so I've had a relationship with him since then, and. Um, so, it, it for, for us, and we become friends. And what was it about him that's, uh, if you can? Well, he Adam described acting as benign rebellion once. It, uh, it was we were doing an interview together, and he said it, and I just it was one of those things where you're doing press and you're all saying the same things over and over. And then I he suddenly said this I hadn't heard this before, and I thought what a what a, an interesting great way to describe what an, an actor does, and also very much what he does, which I do find he's both in serving the material the movie the story always but he's always looking for true moments spontaneous things that activate him and so he is pushing constantly and so he'll and and he'll say things to me like i think i'm not going to cross my legs in this take and I know he has a reason because it's going to change something for him that might have great ripple effects for the scene. I may not even know why or hadn't even thought about the fact that he was crossing his legs. I was w- maybe thinking or watching something else. And that's he he's very aw- aware and unaware at the same time. It's that conscious, unconscious thing that actors do. And it's my favorite way to work. He's also, he is... He loves rehearsing, he loves doing many takes. He knows every bit of dialogue down to the ellipse and he's thought about it and he has the the uh, the hesitation as it's scripted. He's found his way into it. I mean it's it's um, it really is that thing forget who said this but someone said about poetry that it it gives you your own thoughts back with added majesty and i find he (laughs) gives me back my words and and my you'll
1: have to make every film with him now.
2: yeah i know well i i I would like to i mean he's really uh special he's also um he he also is you know he's like you know, he's like this. He can talk. We we talk about movies in general. It's not all about just his performance. Or he's always very interested in what the story is going to be. What. The movie as a whole it's not it's not just about you know he's a real collaborator in in the bigger sense too i love
1: that but what's it like to approach someone you've known him for a while now and you are friends with him to approach him as things with him are at the boiling point now in terms of his career is it hard to get him to do you have the kind of relationship where he turns to the rest of the world and says Shh, i'm talking to noah on the phone and he goes in your direction or yeah, is it tough to find a window in his in his schedule
2: well, he's things have to be planned now m- he's busy. M- more carefully, but he he will make the time because it's something he he, he feels he strongly about. He wants to do it, your yeah. thing, yeah. And what about her? How did you approach her? She, I'd known a, a little bit just over the years. We'd almost done a thing together probably about ten years ago or something. So I and I I always sort of felt like oh, th- at some point I'm gonna I'll have something I feel is right for her. And Adam and I talked about it this was even before the script was really written we talked about well who would be the right person you know for this movie and she was both of our first idea so i'd reached out to her i just emailed her and and and, uh, and said i think maybe i have something we could do together and we met for lunch and then she arrived and said sorry i'm late i was on the phone with my lawyer i'm going through a divorce and I thought, uh, Jesus! <laughs> and wow. So I, I thought, well, then this is either going to be great or or, or terrible. <laughs> <Disaster>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, disaster. Uh, to her credit, it was it was great. She she went in that direction. She just was saw it as a way to
1: you know to uh, to take it on. It. Yeah, her career is so varied. Yeah, I mean, she can she can convey innocence and and a sweetness and a vulnerability and a and a and a, and a and a and a and a kind of i don't want to i don't know what the word is kind of a when she did under the skin kind of a deadness right kind of an emotional neutrality that's like a like she's from another planet you know there's an essence to her that she can manipulate mm-hmm. and on screen she's she, she's one of the few actresses i know that, that comes across a completely different people when she performs
2: yeah well there's there's a thing scripted the thing that was in the script um which i wrote thinking about her because she's an actor in the beginning there it's the closing night of their theater company and and uh, their home and things are tense and he can't help but give her a note even though she's never going to play this part again he's going to give her a note on the on the on the final performance and she says that she has trouble crying on stage you know that what follows is she turns and is sobbing in life, in the movie, in life. And I felt she could both convey the sort of, that that, that moment of, uh, that sort of defensive moment of, uh, of and then turn and just completely open up, you know, within, it's, 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 you know, it is literally in a turn. She turns and starts crying. And that's, uh, you know, something, having her in mind while I'm writing, gives you
1: the idea for something like that you grew up in brooklyn
2: yeah
1: and your parents got divorced when you were how old i was uh 14
2: when they when they finally my father finally moved out and what did your father do for a living he was a writer he was a teacher at brooklyn college and what did he teach he he ran the creative writing program, for a PhD program at at uh, Brooklyn College, and then he also was a he was a writer, a novelist and short story writer, um, uh, but also did film criticism. It was he was sort of of that era where you kind of did all the, you know, like there was that kind of intellectual life where you did many things. There was less. And your all. mom was a
1: film critic as well.
2: My mom became a film critic. Uh, she was a film critic. I should, but but became for me. It was later in my life. It was it was when I was. Uh, really, when I went to college, um, she also had written fiction and had some stories in The New Yorker and had also taught and I mean the way my brother and I always described it is that art in our family was kind of like religion it was the the
1: Pakistan. highest yeah the, and the highest sort of thing to to aim for now when you were growing up because I asked practically everyone who works in film and television and beyond, You know, uh, or if they're in music, I ask them regarding their early years in terms of music appreciation. What was film and television in your childhood? What was that like? Film was a big... My parents
2: really loved movies, so they took me to a lot of movies. Yeah. You went to go see Sorrow and the Pity when you were eight years well, old. Well, <laughs> kind of. Uh, uh, but they also were into what I was into also my father particularly made a real effort to, to go to I you know I was born in 69 so it was sort of the er- the early 80s is when I was started like really kind of branching out in terms of movies and uh, he would go with me really to anything. I mean, we would just go to movies and, right. and I like that yeah, yeah, and we'd see. What well, does it matter? Yeah, and if it sucks, then we learned that. Yeah, we learned that, and we could and we would have <laughs> you know. I remember seeing all these Richard because you know I love Richard Pryor, and we'd go to all these just terrible Richard Pryor movies and and um, that he was clearly doing for a paycheck. Silver Streak. Yeah, well, Silver Streak was a pretty good one. Was a good one. Uh, But but I remember there was one called Some Kind of Hero with Margot Kidder, which is I, I remember we were both so baffled we couldn't believe how bad it was and um but that was kind of almost as good as an experience what else were we going to do yeah exactly yeah. and just going and sitting and your religion it was in a sense and he you know and big he was of you know of the mind that we don't spend the extra money on the concessions so it really was just the movie we <laughs>
1: <laughs> where did he grow up where was he from he's from Brooklyn
2: he's too Brooklyn. he he um his father was a painter and uh, he grew up in Brooklyn. He went to Brooklyn College. He went to New Utrecht High School, and then
1: he went to Brooklyn College. A painter like the painting hanging on the wall or the wall itself you paint? Uh, the, kind of like thing? the one hanging on the wall, an oh, artist. He's uh, an artist. Yeah. And your mother, where was she My from? mother
2: was from... Her whole family's from the South. Her name's Georgia Brown. She was named after Georgia, the, the, the place. And uh, her father worked for Coca-Cola, so they traveled a lot. Uh, and when I was... Older, her parents were living in Seattle, but they had all started in the South. Did you know? I mean, I'm, I'm from things I've read. I'm under the impression you knew pretty early on where you were headed. I wanted it. I wanted to make movies very badly, but I would never. I wasn't around anybody who made them, so I had no. Even though my parents were so into movies, it was it, our experience of movies was kind of like living in Brooklyn. We felt both sort of around where things were happening, but never it was never actually happening to us <laughs> it was that feeling always a feeling outside and and i think my father felt that quite a bit he felt outside he felt unrecognized as a writer a novelist and uh and there was always this feeling of like not it's not happening here it's over there you went to vassar i went to vassar and what, what did you study film i they didn't really have much of a film program then i mean they had a film studies program i'd watch movies But I was an English major. Uh, When you finished at Vassar, what did you do? I wrote a script, but I'd never actually seen a script before. I I was, I I, like printed out. I'd seen them like published, but I didn't realize like those were often just transcripts. They would retype from the movie itself. And it was uh, before any kind of like final draft or any formatting program. So I was just, I, I, I got so hung up. I'm, I'm pretty anal about these things, so I, I was trying to get all the tabs right on my typewriter and then on my computer, you know. And uh, so I was just... Uh, it, I, so my, you're writing a page a month. Yes, yeah, so my whole experience is tabs and, and trying to center everything and get the... Um,
1: Before they had those pre-writing, yeah, uh, the
2: screenwriting program. It was awful. I, and then you'd print it and realize one was off. And, uh, and I wrote what became my first movie uh, called Kicking and Screaming. How old were you? Well, I guess I started writing it, I guess, when I was like 22, 23. Where so, were you living? Well, first, after college, I I was a messenger at The New Yorker, uh, which was my summer job. And then after I got out of college, I guess it was potentially my job. Uh, But then I moved to Chicago uh, because I had a lot of friends who were doing improv and theater in Chicago, and I wanted to kind of just be around them and – you needed some laughs. I needed some laughs. Yeah, it was. And the, I yeah. moved
1: to Chicago.
2: I, I did improv a bit too. I liked. It wasn't that different from writing in a way. It, it was. How long were you there? I was there, uh, not that long, under a year, um, and then. But I was writing this script, and then I came back to New York and set out trying to make it. I had two friends from college. Uh, Uh, Jeremy Kramer and Jason Blum, Jason, the Jason Blum. Yes. And we had all lived together in college. Jason and I lived together in Chicago. And then we uh, all sort of I said, why don't we why don't you produce this and let's try to make it. Um, What was the budget? Well, we didn't even know what. <laughs> what we the still budget. don't know. We still don't know. But I, when it it's ended, still not in profit. It ended up getting made for a million dollars, which was way more than I thought it would. But it was made in a way that was unexpected. And after it had fallen through many, many times by this company, Trimark, which was a video company who wanted maybe to get into sort of a Miramax kind of business, and they wanted content. Yeah, and they they made it. For for a million dollars, which again I, I felt like it's a lot of money for your first movie. Yeah, I, I, in a way, it was too much. It was it was. Um, now I w- I always think about this now, and 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 I've heard Jason say this too. I think now we would have just made it because you could with cameras now. The digital right.
1: cameras you had hadn't film. really.
2: Yeah, and you, I cut. I did cut on film. That was I had on on kicking and screaming was the. F- um, I had the whole experience of cutting on film and.
1: Uh, all pre-digital it was just as it turned i just worked with a bunch of people you know my my production company where i was and it's a generation of filmmakers who really don't know anything else they do it because they just don't know anything else and uh they shot this film for i can't remember maybe it was like 12 days like two six to six day weeks and uh they shoot the film for one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars and he just got into Sundance. That's great. But it's, it's it's like you see the way the movie business now is like anything goes. You know, you just get it up there. Well, there is
2: more opportunity now because of that, that you can do. I mean, I, I made Francis Ha digitally with a crew of about seven people because I felt like, I, in a sense, it was like making a first movie I never made. And But I thought also, why don't I do it now with everything I know and... And that I've learned um, and use the the fact that we're kind of under the radar as uh, there would be certain limitations, but not, days? there would be freedoms. Well, what I did is I shot for 60 days because I because it was so much less to shoot. It's like the film version of like, if you dig down, you'll into the earth, you'll end up in China, right. you know, <laughs> like it was it was it was like, we'll actually have more freedom in certain ways because nobody knows we're doing this and we're so small. And, it, um, and we shot on consumer digital camera. We shot on the 5D. It was black and white and it was great. I mean, and, and it, you know, it's, it was, and my feeling was I'm not going to do this to make it like a B-side. I'm going to do this because it's, I, I think this is the best thing for this movie and will be the best version of this movie.
1: Noah Bombeck co-wrote Francis Ha with his partner Greta Gerwig, She also starred in the movie. Bombek is known for wanting a lot of takes from his actors. To hear from one of those actors, take a listen to my conversation with Jeff Daniels. I got to create. I got to create. You can't have a regular job. I can't. Once you
2: start to understand you're creating a character in a musical in a community theater or college or whatever, and boom, boom, you start to go down that road. Uh, It's like the sharks. You got to keep moving.
1: My full conversation with Jeff Daniels is at heresthething.org. He starred in Bombek's The Squid and the Whale. More on that film coming up. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Aka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at cariuma.com
3: alec. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with. Take ears. Like fingerprints, your ears are totally unique. Too bad your earbuds aren't. Unless you've got Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds. Ultimate Ears Fits offer premium sound and all-day comfort. Their groundbreaking Lifeform technology guarantees a perfect fit in only 60 seconds. Just put in the earbuds, connect to the app, and watch as the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. Bits. This is Alec Baldwin,
1: and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Promoting marriage story, Noah Bombeck has been deflecting questions about his own personal life. When The Squid and the Whale came out, a story about a Brooklyn family and what happens when the parents divorce, Bombeck had to deal with the reaction of his own parents.
2: They knew it was coming. I mean, it, it was... It, again, because it was different, it wasn't our exactly. situation. Sure. But, but there were the there mi- were a few teaspoons of it in there. The milieu was was familiar, and they were good sports about it. I mean, they. Um, I think one thing that was hard for them, which I didn't anticipate, and I was that people would assume then that things that were in the movie were true, and talk to them about it as if they were true things. Right. So I, I, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way that, oh, well, this will all be perceived as true in their lives from other people. So I, that could be a drag, I was, I'm sure. They're friends over dinner. like. Yeah, like, oh, we didn't know that was going on in the house, and it's like, well, it wasn't really, or that I didn't, uh, I guess I didn't anticipate when I, when I, when I was working on it.
1: Now, let me say, you know, your ex is one of my favorite actresses. I had, like, she's one of my top three favorite actresses. She's fantastic, yeah. I had one of the greatest experiences of my life. I've always said that. Working with her, she was just so free and inventive. Miami Blues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I, I, I do that movie with her, and I learned from her, which I thought to myself, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for that when I was working back then. But what are the pitfalls for you of you, of your primary, of your roommate, wife, what have you, your loved one, being at? actress and you're a director (laughs) what would you warn other directors about that
2: well i mean in both with jennifer and greta they're both wonderful actors and they're also they're both filmmakers i mean jennifer when i met jennifer she just made the anniversary party she directed with alan cumming which is is a really great movie they both have a kind of incredible ability of being very present as you're saying like free and present as actors Um, but also they're storytellers i guess in that way you know and um and greta's an amazing director and writer and and so uh, i guess i never thought of it so much as like Director, actor, in that, in the
1: yeah, way. Yeah, no, you're, I always wonder. I, I always think of it in terms of, you know, uh, how great to be. If you're going to be with an actress, it's great to be with, and you can't always pick them this way. One is very talented. Yeah, I, I found that but an increasing number of people, they just they realized not that this was either good or bad. It just it just occurred was they discovered they like directing more than acting. Right, And the acting started to get less and less and less. Because to find material, to access material, that is worthwhile. You know, Dustin Hoffman said to me in a meeting once a million years ago, he said to me, Alec, we're all in line. Some of us are just in a shorter line <laughs> to get that good script and that good material.
2: And right. Well, yeah, and I think in both cases, they both have written things that they've acted in to give themselves yeah. that, that opportunity. It, it's... Um, uh, it's, it's actually, as you were saying that, I realize you've acted with both of them.
1: Well, yeah, uh, we did Woody's movie. Yeah, We did Woody's movie. But I remember I love doing them. I love Woody, and I love working with him. And it was always like, and what a treat to work with younger actors who I'm always so keen on. But while I still have you, I want to ask you. So, you know, in my life, I have worked with... Great directors, sometimes very small roles, and you come in, and they know very well what your function in the piece is. They know the whole panoply of the whole thing. And I'm not somebody who's ever been a big enough movie star in the old school way to walk in and go, we need to fire Bob. You know, just get rid of the director. (laughs) Right. But my point is, is when I'm sitting down with you in the earliest stages, do you think that that's job one for you is to help that person to understand what you want yeah.
2: I think well
1: I'm I'm often interested in how
2: the actor first comes at it without me saying anything. I mean because I think a lot of it is in the rhythm of the lines and it, it's very dialogue driven. Musicality of the lines. And and I think that helps the actor find it. I find usually when actors are having trouble. With a scene, it's because they have the line wrong or they've dropped a line or they've inverted words. It falls flat. And I'll even sometimes forget what the real line is and be trying to figure it out. And then I'll look at the script and I'll realize, oh, it's – He inverted. You're, yeah, you're doing – and and I find uh, – I find it helps them and me then to kind of hear the scene properly. There's a lot of blocking and physical stuff that I also find can help. I mean, it's like what Ilya Kazan would say he was a prop director, you know, that he <laughs> they'd ask him, you know, about what, how, he, how he directed. And he said, I just come up with a lot of good props. And then the actors, I find that takes care of a lot for the actors. Um, but unless it's absolutely wrong for the story, um, I want the actor to suggest in in what they're doing suggests life beyond this scene so that there's in a different movie in the altman version or whatever we might go with that person and that 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 wouldn't be so surprising go into the parking lot when he gets in the car yeah because and you know particularly if you have you know really interesting actor doing a smaller role it's it you want all that stuff you know and i mean it's not right for say the evaluator who comes and watches in marriage story of the 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 woman who comes to see observe charlie and henry have dinner in in his apartment the whole idea of that is there's no life suggested beyond that scene you know it's 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 she's inscrutable um but I wanted that from Alan Alda or Ray Liotta that, I mean, in a sense that, you know,
1: they you, nailed <laughs> They nailed it. Oh, God. When I see Reagan, I'm going to go, you know, Ray, with all the things you've done with guns and shovels and horrible things you've done to people in movies, uh, you know, legendary movies, I go, but I think this is probably your most terrifying <laughs> ever I mean, he reminded me so much of this from my first lawyer who I fire in my book, Bob Kaufman. I'm going to say his name. He terrified me. <laughs> We go into a conference, and as I would recite my story, i well, then they, she did this. And he literally, I mean, the, you never saw a man seethe. He'd look at his two guys next to him and go, Jesus Christ. <laughs> ah! Like, everything I said was like another log on a fire right. of his battle scene. He was going to go and just. Cleave these people, you know. And I remember saying to myself, He's, "I don't think I could be around this guy too much." So I, I fired Ray and I hired Alan. Alda. You went the other way. <laughs> I went with the female Alan Alda. I went with the female. Uh, but, but the reason I say this to you is because, uh, and this is something where, do you see? And maybe I'm projecting or i'm or i'm i'm inlaying a lot of my own personal thing like i've made films i did this film the edge with tony hopkins and lee tamahori was the director we had a david mamet screenplay i was so excited to go do this movie and tamahori was somebody who didn't understand really the psychologics of mamet's writing it was rather baroque it was very mametian right and whenever he'd come across something he didn't understand he'd cut it so he'd say he was, he was a Kiwi. I'll do my bad dialect to He'd say, oh, uh, David does tend to go on a bit here, page 21. I thought we cut these first four speeches. And I thought to myself, well, the way that David tends to go on in these speeches is the very reason I'm here. Right. Is to play the kind of weirdness. These guys are in a, like a weird zone. Everyone's taken something, maybe, and we're all weird. And, um, yeah, I like that movie. Well, we did that movie, and he takes it and makes it 70% psychological thriller and 30% action-adventure film and flips it in the cutting room. But one moment was we're there, and again, this was really one of the most painful moments of my life, is I've got to sell Tony on the idea of what I think the scene's about, because he's not going to say it. He's turning to us going, Men, what do you think's going on here? He wanted us to direct the scene. But the point is, is when I come to work with you, I want so maybe this is wrong—the the 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 nature of actors becoming so self-directing. I want to come in and I want you to tell me. I want you to tell me. Do you think that that's wrong? You want the actors to tell you also what they feel. No, I
2: want. I think that's that's what I would hope actors come in. Uh, It doesn't mean though that you're not going to have ideas. You know, it's but I think you hope they would. I well, it. it, Want to decipher what you want to do? Yes. Yeah, Um, but I look at it as almost like creating, sort of not unlike we were saying about Rob Reiner, we were saying about Kazan. It's like create a kind of structure around them, uh, which is both in the dialogue and knowing your lines, and and like I said, having the lines down, uh, and you know, blocking that's very specific and then then you don't have to worry about that stuff you can be free within those parameters and that it actually opens you up because you're not carrying you're not trying to figure out how to make it work that you're going with it it doesn't mean though of course if an actor if something doesn't work for an actor you know I don't feel I wouldn't get up on this line I'd want to stay you know that that of course should be I mean I listen always to that cuz it's i mean
1: you have to believe it how much do you luxuriate in terms of composition and shooting or do you defer very often to your cinematographer how much uh, of that's you and how much is that is them um, i mean it's it's it is a collaboration
2: i mean i i the way i generally do it is i, I um, you know and if it's somebody i've worked with before we we might have a shorthand and you know sort of going into it but i we kind of take the script and I go through every scene together in prep. Do you storyboard? I don't I, – I do sometimes, but I, I'm such a bad drawer that I, I it frustrates me. So I end up more shot listing um, and doing little drawings and like, you know, things like football plays or things. And but, but what I do is in some ways I describe how I picture the scene. And so I will give a kind of first pass on – Maybe he gets up here. He goes over there. This is the, and and then he'll respond. Uh, Robbie Ryan in the case of Meyerwitz and Marriage Story, and he'll have his own take and say, "But what if this?" or or he'll say, "That sounds right to me." Or um, and we'll kind of do a first pass going through the movie that way. But I will give the, my first sort of interpretation, visual interpretation of every scene, and then we'll do a second pass now with our notes. Of the whole movie and see if we still agree with what we did the first time, which also will accompany then having locations and knowing now what the locations are and things can will always change or or can change. Sometimes you find the location that matches your you know, what was in your head, but often you find a location that gives you new ideas or uh, and then then he, I will have him in the rehearsal with me, uh, often even shooting it on video so that way when we're working with the actors and and just having the actors that will also then so usually by the time we're shooting we've done at least three passes of the whole movie uh a a kind of visual storyboard do you miss film i shot on film i shot uh um up through greenberg i'd shot everything on film then francis mistress america and while we're young i shot all digitally and marriage Story? Marriage Story is 35 is it? Well, Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. That's
1: great. Um, you have many pots on the stove. You know kind of other things you want to do, or does it come at you out of nowhere? I, both? I,
2: I would say up for the last, since from Squid to Marriage Story, I would say I've always had, there's always a thing in the queue that's just finding its way. You know, as I'm finishing a movie, I'm just starting to think about the next thing, and this is the first time I've I've got, nothing. got nothing. <laughs> I'm de- nothing. I'm depleted. You're going out on a good note, though. I'm depleted. If you so you yeah. out
1: a marriage story. You've had a great uh, career. I mean, come on, <laughs> it's okay. You it's can a, be a messenger. It's, it's a my New t- it's my
2: tenth movie. I think that's a good way. Tens to a good round stop. number. Just stop there. It's you don't have to do it. Or I'll be, I'll just keep announcing my retirement and then unretiring. But you don't but, have anything like that. But yeah, this cigarette is. I actually stubbed this one out and I don't didn't relight the other one. So I, I'm going to
1: have to. Rub two sticks together. Yes, yes. Figure it out. Yeah. Noah Bombeck. Whatever comes next, I'll be there. Marriage Story is in theaters and on Netflix. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing.
0: Hi, it's Bethany Frankel, and on my podcast, Just Be With Bethany Frankel, I talk to people who have had non-traditional roots to get where they are. Pretty much a started from the bottom, now they're here story. These are the people I'm curious about and want to have real conversations with. I'm not asking things that you've heard already that are just regurgitated nonsense. It's not just for people to come on here and promote a book. I want to hear what they think about different things. I want to hear how they made it big. Each episode, you'll hear from disruptors like Matthew McConaughey.
2: I think that day is when he goes, I was a good father to him. I raised him to have this confidence to go,
1: I'm going my own way, I'm breaking out.
0: Kelly Ripa. Nobody handed me anything and I fought really hard for everything I had. Sammy Hagar.
1: I didn't realize I was really building a brand. No one told
0: me that you're
3: building a brand.
0: And so many Listen to my podcast, Just Be With Bethany Frankel, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or
3: wherever you get your podcasts.